This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg We're on page 71. It's the 24th letter. We're going to finish the 24th letter. It's the third letter which the Alter Rebbe focuses on prayer and the central role that prayer has for a Jew and especially for a Chassid and especially for a Chabad Chassid. The rabbis in the Talmud place such a, an emphasis on prayer. The Talmud says, the very first tractate, why do we pray three times a day? What's the source for praying three times a day? And they said, because the first prayer, the morning prayer, corresponds to the morning sacrifice, the daily morning sacrifice, which opened up all the sacrifices in the temple. The afternoon prayer, the mincha prayer, corresponds to the afternoon sacrifice, the concluding sacrifice in the temple, the daily sacrifice. And the evening prayer corresponds to the burning of the leftovers. If the service wasn't done during the day, they would have all night. Or according to Maimonides, till, mid, till midnight to conclude all the service in the temple. That's why we, we pray in the evening, and although it's not obligatory, we took it upon ourselves since today, we took it upon ourselves, and it isn't obligatory. But what the Talmud is telling us, it's not just that it's symbolic. You know, it's symbolic, a commemoration, the remembrance of things in the past, our one's glorious past, so we have a commemoration. We commemorate the, the service in the temple every morning, every afternoon, and then in the evening. You know, the, the non-Jews taunted the Jewish people with the destruction of the temple that, don't you get it? I mean, what more can Hashem do? What more can God do to tell you that he hates you. He destroyed your temple, killed a mil- over a million, dispersed you. You still couldn't get rid of us. <laughs> <laughs> You're despised. You're persecuted. I mean, what more could he do? You're homeless. What more could you do to tell you that you're unchosen? Your love affair is over. It's finished. The marriage is over. The relationship is ended. I mean, you call this a marriage? You call this a relationship? This is how one spouse treats the other? So this is, this is the clear message. What's the response? You know, Agoyesha cup. What do they understand? What the Talmud is telling us is, Hashem is with us. Even in exile, Hashem is with us. When ten Jews gather together, the Shekhinah is present. Hashem is there. God in His entire Shekhinah, His Shekhinah, His infinite, transcendent self, is present. 
A shul, a synagogue, is called a miniature temple. So when we gather every morning to pray, this is our temple, Hashem is with us. Hashem didn't kick us out, Hashem didn't expel us, He didn't exile us. Hashem is with us. We are communing with Hashem. It's not just a commemoration of a sacrifice that happened in our glory days in the times of the temple. This is the temple. Hashem is here, now, with us. This is no dissolution of a marriage, God forbid. This is not the end of a marriage, not Hashem. Hates us, it's trying to get rid of us. On the contrary, Hashem is with us. There's a purpose to the exile. You can go to lessonsintanya.com. We discuss the whole Torah approach to understanding of exile on the three weeks, on the morning of the three weeks, on Tisha B'Av. So prayer is not just a formality, a, a formula, something that we do to commemorate something that happened in the past. For a Jew, prayer is when we commune with Hashem. This is our temple. This is our encounter. Hashem set aside, designated a time, when He says, I want to be with you. And you'll be with me. And it's intimate. The Shemun Asherah, it's intimate. That's why the Baal Shem Tov explains why a Jew shakes in prayer. In the Code of Jewish Law, it says a Jew shakes in prayer because the soul shuckles, which is actually uniquely Jewish. You walk into church, people are not chuckling. <laughs> it's a Jewish lavdom. It's a Jewish phenomenon. Ayid shuckles. There's actually a... Uh, <laughs> There's a lost tribe. They claim one of the lost tribes is in, is, is in Afghanistan. One of the fierce fighters, warrior tribes. And it's very uncanny, the things that they have, which maybe uh, makes the case that they are from the lost tribes. One of the interesting things is, you walk into their midrasas, and all their children are sitting and shaking away. <laughs> you know, which is like so Jewish. So why does a Jew shake in the middle of davening? You should daven respectfully. You should daven straight, direct. Why are you shuckling away? So the code of Jewish law says because the neshama is compared to a candle, a flame. The flame is constantly flickering. It's jumping, jumping up and down. But that's the neshama. Why is the body shaking? So the Baal Shem Tov says because when a Jew prays, it's like a moment of intimacy between husband and wife. God is the husband, the Jewish people are the wife. And therefore, the body is physically moving and shaking. It's not just the soul. Spiritually, we're jumping up and down. Our hearts are leaping up and down. Our emotions, our mind and heart, our soul. But the body is physically... So, so for a Jew, davening is a moment of encounter. Hashem designated, the king designated, and says, I am here. I'm available. Come, speak to me private audience the moment of intimacy so Hashem, the Shekhinah is with us yes we're in exile but Hashem is with us in exile Hashem is homeless not that God kicked not that God kicked us out God kicked himself out he is in exile he is homeless he doesn't have a temple that's why we're in exile whatever happens to our husband happens to his wife he doesn't have a home. We don't need to have a home. He's homeless. We're also homeless. He's wandering and we're wandering. 
it's all part of the divine. But it's not, it's not that Hashem separated himself from us, God forbid. On the contrary, Hashem is with us. We're together. We're both in exile together, but he's with us in exile. And he makes an appearance and he makes, designates a time, the times of davening. When Jews get together in the morning with a minion to daven and every afternoon. And in the evening, Hashem is there with us in our miniature temples, in the, in the shul, in the synagogue. So davening for a Jew, it's like the temple, it's like the temple experience. A Jew would make pilgrimage three times a year to go to the temple, to see and to be seen. Well, you know, in exile, Hashem comes to us three times a day. The classical understanding of prayer, the Talmudic understanding, this is something, a major event. It's an experience. It's, it's not just a formality. We mouth the prayers and we race through the prayers and either we take the local or we take the express or we take the Concord, the Superjet. Prayer is a, is a major event. Hashem is with us and we're with Hashem. So the Alter Rebbe is trying to impress upon us these three letters, how, how prayer, prayer is to be taken very, very, very seriously. We have to understand what's going on. It's an awesome moment. For this reason, our Savior's a blessed memory. Ordained with prayer, one should conduct himself as if he is standing before the king. Now, if you're standing before the king of kings, why do our sages say, as if this means, at least he should make himself appear as if he is standing before the king in sight of all who look with physical eyes at his actions and words? Even though a fool has no thought, although he does not have even an intellectual realization, that while standing in prayer, he truly is standing before the king. So even if a person doesn't know, and doesn't, is not aware, and doesn't realize... Because we learned in the previous letter that when ten Jews gather together, the Shekhinah is present, which is this intense revelation. And that explains why when you're davening in a minion, there's a special energy. It energizes you. There's a boost. There's an additional energy which strengthens your spiritual focus, meditation, because even though you can't sense the presence of Hashem, but on some level, on some very deep level, your soul does sense the presence of Hashem. And it, gives, it, it trickles down into your consciousness. You just feel a little more inspired, a little more uplifted. Versus when you're davening alone. And you're in the presence, you're in the minion, there's, there's ten Jews together. There's something in the ear, there's something that you feel, it lifts you up and makes it a whole different experience. Even though you can't consciously sense it, but some, something trickles down, something does affect you. It has a, like a hovering overall effect on you. But then there's a person who's like a fool. He has no realization, no sense, no awareness of what's going on. He just rushes into shul, runs through the davening, rushes out. No sense of what just happened. What, what it was all about. Like a chicken without a head. Imagine rushing in. You have an audience with the president. You have an audience with the king. You're rushing through the door. You're looking at your watch. You mumble some words. You're rushing out. You don't even bother to take a look at the king 
or to say hello, or to... It's like a chicken without a head. So that's why the rabbis say, you know what? At least, at least pretend, at least fake it, as if you're standing in front of the king. Don't publicize your foolishness before the whole world. At least pretend that it's an awesome moment and uh, you're in the presence of the king and you're taking it seriously, even if you don't feel anything. But why parade your foolishness in public? Cover your head with the talus. Let everyone think that you're praying, you're lost in deep meditation, even though maybe you're fast asleep under the talus. <laughs> maybe you're reading uh, some comics, but, but, but at least show that you realize that where you, where you are in the presence, at least pretend. So don't discourage others, because it's very disconcerting. It's very discouraging for others when you treat the shul and the davening experience very lightly, that you don't take it seriously. and It's a, it's, it's a desecration. It's a sacred moment, and it, it's, it's, it's a desecration. You know, in, in Israel, they have a moment of silence. They commemorate the Holocaust. Once a year, the siren goes off. Or the, or the lost soldiers in the, in the wars. The whole country stops. Whatever you're doing, everyone just stops, shows their respect. So just out of respect for the moment, just out of respect for what everyone else is doing, you feel like it, you don't feel like it, you just stop and, and remain silent. Whether you feel the, the sacredness of the moment, whether you're in tears or not in tears, you don't feel anything, but out of respect, you're not going to desecrate that moment that's so sacred for everyone else. So if Hashem is present, Hashem made Himself available, the people are presenting themselves before Hashem. They appreciate the sacredness of the moment. You don't. But don't, don't desecrate it. and Don't denigrate it in front of everyone else. That's right. You know, don't insult Hashem. Don't insult the people, the congregants, the community. Something special is going on here. It was concerning this matter, the realization that one is standing before the king at the time that he appointed to reveal his glory to those who seek him, that all the prayers were instituted, as is evident to whoever meditates deeply upon them. Anyone who understands, prayer is not just a time to request to petition, to ask for what you need, but it's really a time for Hashem to reveal Himself. Hashem is with us. He wants to be revealed. He wants us to see Him, to appreciate Him, to connect with Him. He's revealing Himself in all His glory. And He wants us to be His audience. He's revealing Himself. Could you imagine the uh, performer gets up there and no one shows up? Is there a greater insult? The world-class performer gets up. He rented Madison, Madison Square Garden expecting you know, someone in his stature surely is going to fill up Madison Square Garden. Nobody shows up. Is there a greater insult? 
or multiply that infinite times. Hashem designated a time to reveal Himself and nobody shows up. Or worse, they do show up, but they're on the, on the phone, busy texting, with their back to the stage, talking to each other. I mean, is there a worse insult? You know, he made, he made a point, a special point of revealing himself. And nothing. There's no response. Not only is there zero response, but on the contrary, ignoring his presence. So this is the essence of prayer. Not just a laundry list of requests. It's an encounter. It has to be an experience. Which explains why the length of prayer. If, if prayer was just about our request, it should be a five-minute affair. I mean, how much time do you need? Okay, maybe ten minutes. If we have a long list. But why this whole build-up and structure of prayer? Praising Hashem and the blessings and talking about, again, it sounds so redundant and repetitive and praising Hashem this way and praising Hashem the other way and praising Hashem the third way. And we talk about the angels and we talk about uh, Hashem's love for us. He took us out of Egypt. And, I mean, what does that have to do with prayer? Hashem, this is what I need. Hello, goodbye. Because prayer is an encounter. Prayer is not. That's the essence of prayer. Prayer is not just petitioning. Tefillah in Hebrew comes from the root word tofel, to connect. It's the, the moment to connect, to focus, to center, to make contact. It's an experience, and that takes time. That you have to build up. You don't just jump into prayer. You don't just jump into the Shemones, right? The only prayer we jump in, right? You just jump right in. There's only one prayer. That's the Mincha prayer, the afternoon prayer. You don't need any preliminaries. You don't need any introductions. Ashrei, boom, you're in. In the morning, it's a whole long introduction until you get to the Shemones. In the evening, you also have an introduction. Not as long as in the morning, but also. Because the mincha, you're in the height of the middle of the day, smack in the middle of the day. You're in the height of the day. You're in the height of your business. You're right there in the middle. The height of your life and your youth. And you're, you're totally involved with all your zeal and zest, involved in your career. And, and all of a sudden, you tear yourself away. And you have a mincha. You're talking to Hashem. Anyone who can do that, that's self-sacrifice, tearing yourself away. You're in the midst of, in the heat of the moment. You're like in the middle of business, the middle of the day. The market is surging up and down and then your business, even someone who's learning, you're in the middle of the learning and you're in the, in the depth of the learning and all of a sudden to tear yourself away and say hello to Hashem, to encounter Hashem. This, anyone who can do that, you don't need any preliminaries. You're, you're ready to go straight to the king. The fact that you're tearing yourself away, that sacrifice of removing yourself and just focusing on Hashem and without any distractions, that prepares you, that alone prepares you and that catapults you right into the, into the inner chamber. But other than that, in the morning, you need a whole preparation to sense that, that have, to have that encounter, to have that experience. You need a whole, a whole preparation. But he that does not show this realization is guilty of a capital offense. And of him it was said in the sacred Zohar that he brings disgrace into the supernal order 
and shows that he is separate from holiness and has no share in the God of Israel, heaven for fan. Wow, that's very strong language. He's quoting the Zohar. That um, you bring disgrace to Hashem, you're separating yourself from holiness. It shows that you're all about ego. You have no sense of the godly, no sense of humility, and you have no sheer in the God of Israel. This is very, very, very strong language. Maybe it should be hung up in every shul. <laughs> Therefore, the altar says, I am hereby acting as an agent of our sages of blessed memory to enact a decree to apply equally to everyone. No idle talk is to be spoken from the moment the reader begins to recite the prayers until the end of the last Kaddish at Shachris Mecha Mariv. In the original letter, the Rebbe, this is the Rebbe's correction. But in the original letter, it actually said, the edition that we have, it says Shachris, evening service, Arvis, and then Mincha. Well, no, it say it. no, they changed it. They oh. amended it. This is the fixed version. The Rebbe suggested that maybe this is the correct way to read it, because that's the order, the morning, afternoon, evening. That's a normal order. But the letter that we have in the original, none of these are the original letters. These are copies. But in the, in the letter, the way it was published in the Tanya, up until the Rebbe made the correction, the letter read, Shachris, morning, Arvis, Evening, and then Mincha. Why this order? Because you would think that Mincha maybe is different. Shacharis, you understand. You shouldn't make any interruption in the beginning until the end. Arvis, evening prayer as well. But Mincha, Mincha is like a continuation of Shacharis. That's why Mincha, you don't say Shema. That's why you go straight to the Shemineser, because Mincha is just a continuation of the Shachar. So since anyway you have an interruption between uh, Shachars and Mincha, so what's the big deal if you interrupt within Mincha itself? Anyway, it's uh, an interrupted prayer. So he says, no, that even Mincha, you're not allowed to make any interruption. Once you start Mincha, once you start Ashrei, nevertheless, you shouldn't make any interruption until after the last Kaddish. Okay. But either way... And he who disobeys intentionally shall sit on the ground and beg of three people to release him from the supernal excommunication that results from disobeying a rabbinic decree. He should repent, resolving to change his ways, and he will be healed, and retroactively no excommunication, whatever, will have applied to him. For from the very outset it applied only to those who rebel and are willfully sinful and who do not care at all to seek atonement as they ought from heaven and from man for this grievous sin. Also, this excommunication applies only when people speak deliberately and brazenly, but not to a person who forgets or unwittingly uttered a few words, for he does not require release from the excommunication at all. So even though he says it's a very severe thing to speak in the middle of prayer, from the opening moment till the very end, the last Kaddish, but nevertheless, if a person does speak, the bottom line is just resolve, you're never going to do it again. He asks forgiveness, because you never, your intention wasn't to insult or to do any harm. You just speak, it comes naturally. No one 
sit down to you know for a session you don't plan a session of you just speak it's just you're just sitting together and something comes to mind and you just speak you know that's why they say Lashon Hara is so difficult because no one plans you know other sins you have to plan to do a sin it's intentional you're just speaking and before you know it you speak a little too much you speak a little extra you say something you shouldn't have said and a nice juicy piece of gossip here and a nice piece of slander there. You almost slip into it. It's not like you intentionally designate a time, okay, now I'm going to speak Lashon Hara. I mean, you're just speaking and then you know, one thing leads to the next. So also, when you're speaking in shul, it's not like you intentionally have a mind, I'm going to speak. You see a friend, you want to say something, something comes to mind, so you speak here, you speak there. So it's not like you were, it was an intentional sin, it was something that you've done, you know, it was just carelessness. Yes, you've shamed the Shechina, you've shamed Hashem, you've insulted Hashem, but so you can sit and immediately you'll be forgiven. The moment you resolve not to do it again, that's it. You're no longer excommunicated, you're fine. But if a person accidentally said a word or two, don't get so excited. You don't have to worry about it. That's not what, that's not what he's discussing here. By inadvertently, a person said a word, he said two words, three words. That's not, that's, not, uh, that's not something to worry about. You don't have to get the OT on that or whatever. But if a person just speaks, he has a habit of speaking, that you have to resolve to stop. You have to talk to him. He has to talk to himself and make sure that it doesn't happen again. Sit down and say that, Sorry, in front of three people, he says. And it constitutes like a court, a bezdin, and ask them that they should nullify this excommunication from heaven. Because he's changed. He's excommunicated. Why? Because he insulted the king. He desecrated this sacred moment. He, showed, he was so cavalier, he cavalierly dismissed the presence of the king and didn't respond accordingly. So, the moment he takes it to heart and he resolves that he'll never speak again from the beginning of the davening till the last Kaddish, he'll be forgiven. Because that's when Hashem is present. Hashem is present from the beginning when the Chazan starts davening till the last Kaddish when the Chazan leaves the Yomid. Hashem is present. It's the audience. He's there. He's revealing himself. So the whole, that whole time has to be very sacred. So as long as you resolve from now on, you can appreciate the moment, appreciate that experience, and you'll behave accordingly. You'll be silent and respectful. And what he's demanding is not just um, <coughs> external silence. There are shuls that are very careful about it. Thank God. There's no speaking. They don't, they don't tolerate any speaking. Out of respect. But what he's asking for is more than just external respect. Yes, if that's all you can do, it's fine. Don't embarrass yourself in public. At least for others, be silent. Let everyone think that you're being respectful, even though internally you're clueless and you're not being respectful, but at least don't. But what he's really expecting is there should be an inner silence, not just a silence because I have to zipper my mouth. Because appreciate the sacredness of the moment and realize what's going on here. Hashem is present. The king is here. Act accordingly. Act respectfully. It sounds like a tall order, 
three times a day we should be able to have that experience but that's what's expected of us that's why we pray three times a day that's what the code of Jewish law that's what Hashem expects of us the king is revealing himself three times a day we have a private audience with the king of kings three times a day go for it appreciate it cherish it respect it be in awe of it look forward and treat it accordingly. It should be that inner sense of what's really going on. The silence is just an, a, a, a symptom of what's going on. So there are many shuls that are silent, but they, they don't appreciate the inner dynamic, why I'm being so silent. It may seem like very artificial, you know, like very, yes, very respectful, but very external and superficial, and my heart is not into it. You know, I'm just silent for an hour or two. A Shabbos could be two, two or three hours, and it could be difficult <laughs> to be silent for so long. But if you appreciate and you get into the experience and get into the moment and realize what's going on, it makes the silence a lot easier. You're not just silent. You're focused, you're connecting, you're concentrating, you're aware, you're living this experience. Then, then the silence is natural. And then if someone talks, it bothers you. Not just externally, well, where's your respect? Just zipper your mouth and quiet. But it bothers you because the person who's speaking doesn't appreciate what's going on. That bothers you even more. Not only is externally not respectful, but can you imagine if the king was sitting there and someone just walked by and on his cell phone? It would bother you. What kind of what kind of fool is this person? I mean, the king is right here. How, how, how I mean, how could you even consider speaking and being distracted and turning your back and ignoring the presence of the king? It's, it's incongruous. It, it, it grates on you. It doesn't make any sense. It, it's, there's a dissonance. You're in shul. You're davening. You're talking to the king and you're, to, and, and you're busy talking. talking. There's it, something... It doesn't add up. It doesn't connect. It means you're just going through the motions. You have, you're clueless. You have no idea what davening is. You have no idea what going to shul is. You have no idea what's going on here. Has a greater fool ever been born? That's what bothers you. It's not just, okay, where's the respect? Just listen, obey. But that's just mechanical. It's not just the mechanics, but to understand the mechanics, why the Shulchan Aruch says you should be quiet and shul, <laughs> this is what gives you the inner soul, the fire, the reasoning, and the, the sense. Now I understand why you have to be quiet and why you want to be quiet. I want us to force you to be quiet. It's just, it's natural. Of course I'm quiet. Hashem is here, of course. I take in the moment, I absorb the moment, I'm focused on the moment, nothing else exists. How can I speak to anyone else when the king is right here? And Hashem, who is righteous, examines the heart and the kidneys. He probes a man's inner integrity and is able to discern a deliberate offense from an unwitting one. The Rebbe concludes with a prayer. Be benevolent, O God, unto the good. To those who refrain utterly from idle speech and unto those who are upright in their hearts, also to those whose hearts meant well 
but from whose lips a few words inadvertently escaped. Hashem knows the truth. If it was just unwittingly or just careless. Yeah, so in the Chabad Shul, this letter is to be taken to heart. This is a uh, davening of something that you take to heart. Davening should be an experience, inspi- something that inspires you, a moment to cherish, to remember. It rejuvenates you, elevates you. Children are exempt. No, parents have, parents have to educate the children to be silent in shul. Otherwise, send, send them to, to the children's program. Um, but it's part of education, like anything else. Part of education that the child... Listen, children learn from the adults. Children are lie detectors. Children, it's not what you tell them to do. They, you teach by example. They watch you. When they see that the parent and they see the adults are taking the davening seriously. And they're into the davening. And children are very spiritual by nature. They sense that it's a spiritual experience. They pick it up in a moment. And they respect it. And they're in awe of it. And they, 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 get the le- they, get the le- they learn their lesson. They get the message. Children are naturally in tune with these truths. But when they see, they come into shul, and they see the adults are joking around, the adults are talking. The davening is like a joke. It's not serious. Or it's going through the motions. It's a mechanical event and, you know, let's get over this as soon as possible. It's too painful. <laughs> it's a minute overdue. Uh, the davening is, uh, so they pick up in a the moment. They see, listen, the adults will take it seriously. This is not for real. Why should I take it seriously? So, yes, children, children pick up in a second. So if you walk into a shul that lives by these three letters, letter number 22, which spoke about the love that you have to feel when you walk into a shul, the connection, the unity. You walk into a shul, there's no politics, we're all together, we're all connected, no one even <coughs> thinks negatively about a fellow Jew. If you even enters your thought, you dismiss it, just like if, God forbid, a, a cross had entered your mind, you, you would be so horrified, you would dismiss it, you wouldn't even entertain it for a second. So if a negative thought falls into your mind, enters your mind about your fellow Jew, you would immediately dismiss it. It's, it's worse than seeing a cross. How could you... It's like the equivalent of seeing a cross. How can I, seeing an idol, thinking about idolatry, it's, I can't even think negatively about a fellow Jew. So there's a genuine sense of respect and, and there's the energy in the shul is so positive. It's not like you walk into a workplace with so much politics and negative energy and this backstabbing and this one is politicizing and this one and this one is, is, is undermining and stabbing this one in the back and full of intrigue. And You walk into shul, you can breathe, spiritually breathe, emotionally breathe, psychologically breathe. Everyone is connected. There's a love and there's a respect and there's a unity. That's the atmosphere in shul. That's, that's number one, step number one. Step number two, ten Jews together, you're in shul, Hashem is present, you know what's going on here? The Shechina is present, the soul comes down into this world just to have this experience, just to get together with nine other Jews and to, be, to, to have Hashem, to be in the presence of Hashem Shechina. Even the angels don't have it, even the heaven and the heaven of heavens, only in this world, only in this miniature temple when ten Jews get together. We have that experience. 
So therefore, you come to shul, you don't waste time, you utilize even those moments between prayer. You, you, you utilize it to study Torah together. Imagine ten Jews studying Torah together, a minion. Just like davening, ten Jews davening together, so powerful, ten Jews studying Torah together. As it says in the Mishnah, ten Jews who engage in Torah with Hashem's presence, Hashem's transcendent Shekhinah presence, and then you study Torah together, do a mitzvah together, study Torah together. It's the most powerful thing. So utilize that moment Instead of wasting time with the Mincha and Mayri, we utilize the moment to study Torah together every day. And on Shabbos, before Mincha. And, and then, here, during Davin, not to speak between the first word and the last word. Because you're so busy davening, you're lost in davening. I don't have time to speak. I'm busy. Could you imagine you're watching your favorite movie and suddenly someone comes over to you and wants to have a conversation? I'm, I'm, lost in my, I'm lost in the movie. I'm absorbed. I'm reading my favorite book. Get out of here. Don't bother me. I'm busy. It's a distraction. What, what, are, you, what are you attacking me? What are you talking to me? I'm busy. I'm, I'm engaged. I'm involved. A moment of intimacy. You have to be totally present, 100%. You can't be intimate if you're 99.9% present. You have to be 100% present. So I'm being intimate with Hashem. Davening, I should be fully absorbed in the davening. You walk into shul, everyone should be lost and absorbed in davening. Yes, we're davening with a minion. Yes, it's a community. Yes, it's a congregation. But every individual in this community, in this congregation, is absorbed, fully absorbed and lost in the experience. You walk into shul, everyone should be lost in their prayer book. I, I don't even notice the person sitting next to me and they don't notice me because each one is, I'm talking to Hashem, I'm communing with Hashem. Yes, we're doing it as a minion, but each and every one of us as an individual is completely lost in the experience, absorbed in the experience, in the encounter. I, I'm not, I don't hear you. I, I, I'm not here. I'm elsewhere. I'm not interested. Now is not a time. Don't come to talk to me now about my business, about, my, about the rabbi, about this one, about a fellow congregant. This is, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm busy. That's the way a shul should look. Everyone is lost in the prayer. Everyone is absorbed in the prayer. It's a sacred moment. You feel this, the energy in the room. There's a unity and there's a, there's a sacredness and there's a holiness. And, and prayer is an experience. This is the picture that the Zohar p- p- paints. This is what Alter Rebbe is trying to accomplish. This is what he hopes for. This is what he expects a Chabad shul to look like. What's a Chabad Shul? Chabad Shul is someone who follows the Alter Rebbe. That's Chabad Shul. If it doesn't look like, if a Chabad Shul doesn't look like the way the Alter Rebbe explained and described, letter number 22 and letter number 23 and letter number 24, it can have a sign Chabad on top, but it's not a Chabad Shul. I don't know what it is, but it's definitely not a Chabad Shul. 100%, not even a question. A Chabad Shul looks exactly the way the Alter Rebbe describes here. Exactly as he wished, exactly as he wanted. Exactly as Hashem wants. And what Hashem expects of us. As he says, I am just an emissary of, of the rabbis, of all the sages of blessed memory. I'm just implementing and executing, uh, executing their wish. And implementing it. It says, my shul and a Chabad shul that has my name on it, this is the way the shul looks like. Otherwise, don't call yourself Chabad. This is what he expected. And the Chabad, Hasidim, throughout all the generations, there was something special 
about a Chabad Shul. Davening was davening. Davening was a very special moment. It was an energizing moment, a very uplifting moment. It was a, that's where a chassid got all his enthusiasm and his passion and his excitement. The davening, it's all about connecting with Hashem. What's chassidus? What's a Yiddishkeit? What's Judaism? It's all about one thing. One thing and one thing only. Connecting with Hashem. That's what it's all about. Studying Torah is about connecting with Hashem. Doing a mitzvah is about connecting with Hashem. Doing acts of kindness is about connecting with Hashem. Just like Hashem is kind, and we're also kind. When is the time to connect? Davening, prayer. That's the time we connect. This is the essence. This is what, this is what it's all about. So during davening, you're speaking. What does it mean? That means you missed the whole point. Not only you missed the whole point of what davening is, you missed the whole point of what Judaism is, you missed the whole point of what Hasidus is, and you surely missed the point of what Chabad is. It's all about Hashem. It's all about godliness. It's all about connecting with Hashem. And this is the moment. If not, now when? If you're not connecting during davening, when exactly are you connecting? If it's not about the connection, what is your life all about? Oh, I'm busy. What do, you, what do you mean you're busy? This is what your whole life is about. Your whole life is about connecting with Hashem every day, all day. Day in and day out, 24-7. This is what existence is all about. And this is what life is all about. And this is what a Jew is all about. And this is what a Chassid is all about. And this is what a Chabad is all about. And when it comes to time to connect, this one is talking here, this one is reading this, and this one is looking here, and this one is distracted there. We're doing everything except that one. What does that tell you? It means you missed the whole point. How could you claim to be a Chabad Chassid, a Chassid period, or even a Jew? Acting like a Jew, when the moment when Hashem is present with us, in exile, we're together. Hashem reveals Himself. I'm busy, I'm talking, I'm distracted. It's a disconnect, not just a detail. I missed the whole point. That's why the Zohar uses such strong language, very strong language. The Zohar doesn't play games. It doesn't play with words. You bring a disgrace. Anyone who speaks during davening, you bring a disgrace to Hashem. You show that you're separate from holiness. You have no shear in the God of Israel. Because it means you missed the whole point. What's your life all about? What's your Judaism all about? Isn't it about connecting with Hashem? This is the moment. This is it. I'm busy, I'm talking, I'm distracted. It means, that means, it means you really don't get it. It means you missed the whole point. So your whole day, you have no sheer in the God of Israel, not only during davening, it means you have no completely disconnected, clueless. That's what the Rebbe says. If you're so clueless, don't embarrass yourself in public. Don't show in front of the whole world how clueless you are. Be silent. Even if inside you don't feel anything. Cover your head with the towels. Go to sleep and let everyone think that you're lost in meditation. They don't realize you're lost in, in deep sleep. But don't. But to speak publicly, to parade and publicize that you don't get Hasidus and you don't get Yiddishkeit and you miss the whole point and you're completely clueless and you're parading it and publicizing it in front of everyone. Is there a greater fool? Alter Rebbe is I'm saying, what more can I do to impress upon how important happening is? You can't claim to be a Chabad Chassid. 
and not take davening seriously. It's as simple as that. You know, when the Rebbe would walk into, he'd walk into davening in shul, you know, he would walk. When he walked out of davening, after davening, his pace was much quicker. He was like, his face was like flush. He walked with a vigor. You, you can literally see that he was rejuvenated. Like davening was an experience. It wasn't just, he walked recharged, refueled, reconnected. Davening was exactly what Dalton Rebbe is describing here. It's an encounter with Hashem. It's a moment to connect. And that's what we're busy doing all day, every day, 24-7. It's about connecting. And there's a moment for that is davening. This is the heart and soul of what a Jew's life is all about. This is the moment of intimacy. This is what it's all about. It's all about my relationship with Hashem. When a Jew speaks during davening, what, what, what's he telling us? He's telling us is that he doesn't understand that Yiddishkeit is a relationship. It's a marriage. To him, Judaism is rules and laws and mechanical rules and, rules and laws. And he really missed the whole point. He really missed the whole essence of Yiddishkeit. The whole essence of Hasidus, which is the essence of Yiddishkeit. And the whole essence of Chabad Hasidus, which is the essence, core and essence of Yiddishkeit. And that's sad. A person who's going through the motions... <clears throat> It's like telling a joke and missing the punchline. Can you imagine? <laughs> You're doing everything that's right. You're a religious Jew. Orthodox Jew. You're doing everything that's right. And you like completely miss the whole point. Clueless. Disconnected. Is anything sadder than that? Anything more tragic? You're going through the motions already. You're already learning Torah. You're already doing mitzvah. You're a religious Jew, an observant Jew. And yet, soulless, joyless, passionless, clueless, disconnected. It's a tragedy. And it's all expressed in prayer. Prayer is what gives life and just conclude with one thing that the Rebbe doesn't discuss here, but discussed elsewhere in Hasidus, how central prayer is to a Jew's life. And with this we conclude this, this series of letters on prayer. And please God, next week we're going to start letter, letter number 25, very, very, very powerful letter. But uh, the Rebbe says that there's an argument in, um, amongst the rabbis, Maimonides and Nachmanides, where the prayer whether we're biblically obligated to pray every day. Maimonides is of the opinion that it's a mitzvah in the Torah to pray every, every single day. Um, it's a mitzvah 433 in Parshish Ekev. is a mitzvah in the Torah. You should serve Hashem. You should serve Hashem. And the rabbis say this refers to prayer. So there's an obligation to pray each and every day. It's just that the structure of prayer is rabbinic. Biblically, you can mouth any prayer once a day in any language. It can be brief, and you fulfill your obligation. The structure three times a day and the structure of the prayer, that's rabbinic. But the, the obligation to pray is a daily obligation. Nachmanides disagrees, Nachmanides holds. There's no biblical obligation to pray every day, none whatsoever. Of course, if there's an emergency, and you need to pray, of course, you have to pray to Hashem, only to Hashem. Who else are you going to pray to? There's no one else to pray to, only to Hashem. 
so the Rebbe asked that Ahmadides was a Kabbalist. Maimonides was a philosopher. It, it, the Kabbalist is minimizing prayer. Maimonides, the philosopher, says prayer, you're obligated to pray every day. Nachmanides says, oh, it's not an obligation. It's, just, it's only rabbinic. The whole idea of praying every day is rabbinic. Not just the structure of prayer. The obligation to pray every day is only rabbinic. Look, you don't even have to pray every day. So the Nachmanides is minimizing, the Kabbalist is minimizing prayer. We know that the Kabbalist prayer played such a central role. And al Rebbe says, no, on the contrary. According to Nachmanides, prayer plays a much more central role than according to Maimonides. According to Maimonides, prayer is a mitzvah, one of the 248 positive obligations, positive mitzvah. So it's, a, it's like a, we have 248 mitzvah because there are 248 limbs in the body, organs in the body. So every organ has a mitzvah. So this is one mitzvah, one organ. But then there is the spine. The spine is not technically considered one of the organs. But what happens if you don't have a spine? God forbid something is wrong with your spine. The whole body collapses. The spine is not a detail. The spine is what upholds the entire organ- organism, the whole structure. Everything is connected. The whole idea behind chiropractic is by, by, by adjusting the spine, you also adjust all the signals. The whole body, the whole organism is healed because everything runs through the spines. All the whole nervous system comes from the, the, the skull and the skeleton, the brain goes through the spine and from the spine to all the different organs. So if the, if the system is off, it affects the electric signal to the rest of the body. And by straightening the spine, adjusting the spine, the whole body heals. Uh, th- that's really behind the original chiropractor. It's not just to adjust your back for back pain. It's, it's really, they healed all illnesses with, 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 uh, through this chiropractor. It was all from the spine. So what does this tell us? The spine is not just a detail, a minor detail. The spine is what upholds the whole structure. So what Nachmanides is telling us is not that he's minimizing prayer, that prayer is not important and prayer is no big deal and you're not even obligated to pray every day. What he's telling us, he's arguing with Maimonides that you can't say that prayer is a mitzvah. One mitzvah out of 248 positive mitzvah to have one out of 613. Because that means it's just a detail. Prayer is so primary, it can't be considered a detail. Prayer is like the 18, like the 18 18 vertebrae, the Shemona Esrei, the 18. Prayer is because of the 18 vertebrae in the spine. Prayer is a chiropractic adjustment. (laughs) Every day, because prayer is what it glues it all, it connects it all, it brings it all together. Prayer is the heart and soul, the essence of of the Jew. It's the moment I connect with Hashem, it's the moment of intimacy, it's the moment of encounter. That's what gives life and breathes life and energizes all the mitzvot. Without prayer, everything is dry, cut and dry and dead and mechanical. It's like a body, you have all 248 limbs, it all falls apart. There's nothing to uphold it, there's no center it's not centered, there's no connection. Prayer is what connects it all. Prayer is what gives life, breathes life to the whole of Judaism. So prayer can't be a mitzvah, not because it's not important. It's so important, it's so primary, it's so fundamental, you can't consider it a mitzvah, a detail. It's everything. Without prayer, there's nothing. It's beyond the mitzvah, it's beyond just the detail. It's, it's, it's the whole thing. Prayer is what connects it all together, brings it all together. So a person who doesn't pray or doesn't take prayer seriously or doesn't, 
it means it means the whole Yiddishkeit, the whole Yiddishkeit falls apart. That it's not. He's missing not just a detail. That's what the Zohar says. You have no shear in the God of Israel. Okay, there's one mitzvah. I'm not doing well. I'm not praying. How can you say I have no shear in the God of Israel? I'm doing everything else. I'm following the law. I'm doing everything else. If I speak in davening, I have no shear in the God of Israel. No, but a mitzvah, even a mitzvah in the Torah, a mitzvah, as Maimonides says, are only details. A general mitzvah can't, can't be counted as one of the 613 mitzvah. So, because prayer is a general. It's not because it's, it's, not, it's a detail. That's what You can't say it's a detail. Prayer is, is everything. Prayer is... And that's why, that's why the rabbis instituted that we have to pray every day. Because it, it's so central to a Jew's life. It's a, it's a central part of a Jew's life. The Torah can't tell you it's a mitzvah. Mitzvah is a detail. Prayer is more than a detail. Prayer is everything. It's the soul. So a Jew who doesn't pray, that's what the Kabbalists say. Nachmanides was a Kabbalist. The Zohar says, a Jew who doesn't pray, who speaks during prayer, who doesn't appreciate what prayer is and doesn't appreciate the moment, he has no shear in the God of Israel. It means he missed the whole point. Not only during prayer. He doesn't get anything. He has no shear in the God of Israel, period. What a powerful statement. But that's the emiss. That's the truth. You can't say it clearer than that. But that's the emphasis. It's a giveaway. There are certain things that give a person away. A person who speaks during prayer gives everything away. It means the person, as the Zohar says, has no share in the God of Israel. Has no clue. Really has no clue what Yiddishkeit is. Missed the whole point. It's not just a detail. It's not just a refraction, a minor refraction. It's not a question of refraction even. It's not even a question of refraction. I did something wrong. Punish me. Don't punish me. It's much deeper than that. The king is here. And you're turning your back. What does it mean? It's not just a question. Okay, you sinned. You didn't sin. It means you're completely clueless. There's no response. The king is here. And this is how you respond. It means you don't get it. You don't understand what this whole thing is about. That's what he's trying to impress upon. So from the negative, how much more so in the positive? If we don't speak during davening, and we experience the davening and take it seriously, this is what gives us the connection to the God of Israel. This is what connects us. This is what plugs us in. This is what rejuvenates us and makes the whole Yiddishkeit come alive. So when you walk into a Hasidic shul, a Chabad shul, you should feel the, the energy, the spirituality, the holiness, the sanctity, the experience. The Everyone should be lost in prayer, focusing, connecting, being centered, absorbed in their own prayer, in their own encounter, in their own experience, while we're sitting together collectively and davening together as a minion. Each individual is completely absorbed in this experience. I've, see, I've seen Jews daven like that. It's a, it's a sight to behold. Jews and shul and completely lost in the personal experience, completely lost in the prayer, completely absorbed, like a moment of intimacy. You can't disturb them. You can't disturb them. talking. There's no one to talk to. They're completely lost in the prayer. They're like, and this is the Alter Rebbe wishes for all of us. This is how we should experience the prayer. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project.
More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.